Hey there, Full Disc listeners. We've got something special for you today. In the current global pandemic world we're living in, we at Full Disc started feeling the huge void being left by the extreme lack of aviating going on. Our good friends at Mudspike Aviation felt the same. We both agreed that something needed to be done. Since we couldn't get out and watch our friends fly, we figured what better way to keep in touch than inviting them into our virtual flight line and having a simple conversation about all things aviation. For seven straight hours, we had live conversations with military pilots, airshow pilots, warbird owners and operators, social media personalities, and photographers. The audio was recorded live, and while there were definitely some technical issues that popped up, we feel that the quality of the conversation greatly outweighs the quality of the audio. Without further ado, Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation present the following for your listening pleasure. Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation presents an aviation conversation. Welcome, everyone. As I've started each interview today, I want to thank you all for joining us. We hope this brightens your day, if only just for a bit. I know these are difficult times for many of us, and to be able to give back this way to the community that has brought us so much joy over the years is something that we're happy about and grateful to be a part of. Um, right now, I'm here with my better half, or Gravity Images. How are you, buddy? I'm doing just fine, man. Just uh, hanging out in Kansas and, you know, just enjoying what we're doing today. Love it, man. Well, right now, we are here with some legends without any more blabber from me better known as a class of 45 welcome to the show scooter yoke and jim tobel how are you guys doing today when are the legends coming in (laughs) (laughs) i'll stick around i'll stick around for that (laughs) it's gravity really we're just going to interview gravity yeah yeah legend in my own mind i guess Uh, Jim, I haven't spoken to you much. You are out in Jackson Hole, right? As you guys have been discussing a little bit. Yes, that's uh, home out here in Jackson Hole, and it has been great. Uh, we're usually lagging on the spring weather, but uh, <laughs> uh, they, they say next week we should be up in the 60s and almost the 70s. Week, wow. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's good for us. If there's any... We can't spell the H word out here, which is humidity. <laughs> that place if there's any place that looks like it earns the moniker god's country i would say that's the spot just unbelievable have you guys thought about doing an air-to-air around there with your airplanes no uh we do have uh, a number of warbirds out this way in fact we have a warbird museum on the other side driggs idaho and uh, that's where rich sugged in and there's a corsair dash five over there mustang E-28s, a lot of jets, all sorts of warbirds over there. And then into Idaho, there's a, there's a lot of warbirds. In fact, Rexburg uh, having an air show, and I'm thinking about taking my uh, SNJ over there for the day. Cool. Yeah, air over here would be killer. Yeah, that, that backdrop would just be stunning. Find you guys airplanes. And I've um, talked about doing a West Coast swing, and we would actually – um, keeper aircraft here in Wyoming, down Alpine. Cool. And just kind of transition up to uh, Oregon, down through California. West Coast swing for class 45. That'd be Based awesome. I know there's Wyoming. That, that would be a prime opportunity to do a uh, photo op. Yeah, for sure. Do. I know there's a lot of people out west that would love to see you guys. We get a, we get a lot of requests. 
Sure. Um, Scooter, I enjoyed your chat with uh, Ryan, James, and Nick on the podcast the other day, but I got a bone to pick with you. Ready for this? Yeah, here we go. I'm not sure if you remember this, but if you go back to our dinner in Beaufort last year that we had with the F-22 guys, uh, we sat beside each other at the table. One of the first things we discussed was uh, propeller blur in photos, right? Yeah. Uh, And I mentioned Gravity Image's recent shots of you flying in Quicksilver with the nice full disc on it. And you were like, oh, yeah, Gravity Images. And I was like, oh, you know him, thinking, you know, you've seen his awesome work and had met him at a show or two, maybe had a beer at some point. Remember your response? Uh, dude, I killed those brain cells. I have no idea what I said. You're like, hell no. I don't know who the hell he is. <laughs> <laughs> that was then. This is now, bro. You're, I, I'm tired of you living in the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're living in the present now. He's a nice guy, isn't he? He's a good dude. Yeah. Hey, now you have full experience of the, the Nick and Nick show. What do you have? My money back? <laughs> How much did I pay you? I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah, moving on. Uh, for the listeners, we are with the class of 45. Uh, that is a war veteran Corsair and a brilliantly restored Mustang with an incredible history. Um, two of the best pilots on the circuit right now. And you guys came together in, was it Rome, Georgia, 2013 on a napkin? Is that how this came? Correct. That is See? that is exactly that is exactly how this happened. So, uh, I'll I'll take over this this discussion and because Tobel always Tobel always has uh, always has uh, great uh, follow on because I always forget half of it. So, um, <laughs> we we had been we had been talking for a number of years about flying together, about doing something together. How cool would it be to get the two headline fighters of the Second World War together? You know, you don't really get to see it, and actually putting together a I don't know, something that's that looks semi-organized, something that's not just, you know, tail chasing around and not that there's anything wrong with tail chasing. It's just we want to maybe take it to the next level. So the opportunity presented itself in Rome, Georgia, 2013. And that was like the, I mean, we had flown together, what, uh, Toby, we had Shaw in 2012. I mean, we did like some stuff. But I mean, it was... It was a number some, of times, Monroe... Monroe, exactly. So I mean, like we were, we were no stranger to like flying, and uh, we just decided we're like, all right, if we're going to do this, we need to do this right uh, professionally. So somebody get a napkin, and uh, that's that's how we came up. Took elements from the Tailhook Legacy Program, the Heritage Flight, Black Diamond Jet Team, Texan Two demo that he had done, just sort of rolling all of collective knowledge together into one. And what you see is a class of 45. You see, you're seeing two airplanes just doing tail chases. What we're doing is we're doing dynamic formation changes. We're doing, uh, you know, essentially now they call it a formation dynamic. That's what we're doing. And that's how it started. Uh, and it is just, it is the response over the past couple of years has just been absolutely phenomenal. Blessed to have the fan base in the we have. Each time we flew, we would enhance it, you know, find out changes to make it better. We had a lot of people critique us and say, hey, uh, you're taking a little too long in your repositioning. Can you, you know, cut back on that? So we kept refining it. And every time we flew, it just got better and better and better. 
we did that for probably a couple of years to really refine the routine. Oh, when when do you think the routine took its current form, or are you guys always um, ever tightening things and subtly shifting things in the routine? Well, you know, we we're not really like adding much stuff. Not much has actually been added in the past like five years. Okay, right. um, the the key I I believe the key to a uh, a good overall performance is not much change, but enhancing what you already have. Um, what do they what do they say? You got to be what you have, not what you want. It is that's literally our demo is pretty much perfect for what we have going on. The only thing is, okay, so we're gonna make this pass a little closer. To the, I mean, you know, a little closer on the turnarounds, or we're gonna uh, try to. We've got this show to the point to where it was a ten-minute show. It's now down to like seven minutes and forty seconds. And that's all cutting, the, trimming the fat off. That's repositioning turn. That's uh, the the join up after his after his uh, excuse me his his solo. All that stuff has become clockwork. And I'd like to think I'm super predictable when it comes to being a lead. Jim is incredibly predictable as a wingman. I couldn't ask for a better makeup, a better dichotomy, a better two ship than what we currently have. I was giving him a lot of props. I'm very particular who I fly with. And in the beginning, I really, really liked where Scott's head was. Um, It was very serious. Let's talk about this. Let's execute what we just briefed. And he was spot on. I like the seriousness he takes in flying that airplane, which builds a lot of trust in me because I've got to be very close to him. I've I've never flown closer to anybody else in my entire flying career than wow. I do with And uh sometimes I'm so close and he'll rack it up on that initial and I'm looking straight at the ground. And I have to not look at the ground because it 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 really messes with my head seeing that ground rush because we're so much on, almost on a you know, not quite a ninety, but we're pretty damn close. <laughs> plane it wants to slide so i have to keep it in position that's the tightest i'm on him in a 90 degree turn we're doing that apex around the crowd and that is that is the most challenging maneuver for me in terms of formation flying without him i would never do that with anybody else it's an awesome level of trust you guys having each other to do that that's cool it looks great from the ground awesome Glad to hear that. Yeah, throw in a sunset or two, and it just doesn't get much better than that. I'll tell you what, dude. I I live. (laughs) Go ahead. I was going to say sun and fun. We did the uh, twilight. That was another transition we did that we were a little gun shy about asking us to do twilight. And uh, because you start losing the daylight, and and now a lot of our maneuvers are visual. I see him. We're doing intercepts and. Went really good, and we would land just uh, just at twilight, you know, at uh, official sunset, if you will. And um, the Ricardo went out there and took some pictures, and the horizon was just golden. It was orange. Mm. The silhouettes of us coming in were just incredible with our passes and then landing. Yeah, Absolutely. that was. I don't know if you saw any of those, but they were absolutely. Incredible. I uh, I've gotten to the point to where. 
my favorite portion. You know, it's 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 kind of like choosing what kid is your favorite. Right? But my favorite portion of any air show is the Friday night twilight or Saturday. That golden hour, and you have two aircraft that are uh, as as beautiful symmetry as a P fifty one Corsair, and then you throw in, you know, the uh, I think a lot of it has to do with paint jobs as well. I don't I don't think another fifty one say this reluctantly, but I don't think another up against the Twilight is my aircraft because also I don't think another Corsair would look good because of his markings, the way that the I don't. I don't think it would look as good. So I, I mean, I'll say that selfishly, and people can people can at me if they. But uh, I'm serious. I, I I think it's I think it's the perfect storm. Everything, but the whole reason I was bringing up this subject is that twilights are what I've become like look forward to more than anything. It's it takes the most planning, and you know when you go that next step to where you start almost overthinking demo, thinking your lines and your headings and your versus wind and stuff like that. Uh, that's when the perfect demo comes together. I don't think we've had a I don't think we've had a an A minus demo, I mean at, at Twilight, to be honest with you. I think all of our Twilights have been absolutely phenomenal. No, we did. We we had one. Yeah. Oh yeah, when you hit the bird? Yeah, that was that was oh, awful. Whoa, 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 whoa. My <laughs> lead drove me into the bird. Yeah. <laughs> Three Here feet higher, goes. three feet lower. Here. I would have missed the bird. <laughs> yeah, but we would have been uh, then. It would have been an A minus demo because we our inbound heading altitude would optimal the run in. So therefore, you're welcome. <laughs> Boy, what a shocker! <laughs> now that oh you my know, gosh. You about routines and you know what to expect, and that was the unexpected scenario, and it was in twilight, mm. and when that thud hit. You know, my eyes are 100% focused on Scooter, and all I see is his Mustang and getting my position right. And when I hit that bird, it's, it's, this is twilight, so you don't have a lot of light out there. And then I look, and everything seems to be stable with the aircraft, and Scooter says, well, do you want to knock it off or continue? And I said, let's continue. And uh, everything was stable. It was fine. I got on the ground. Holy cow. I had no idea impact i actually hit two of these um birds i'll just say birds they, let's put it this way they had talons so oh man these were not small birds and they're the one, endangered <laughs> and uh and so the one hit in my camera lens uh plexiglass hole so he went right into my wing through where the camera sets exploded inside my wing root. Hmm. I'm like, God. Was his buddy, and he put a huge dent into my wing, but then rolled off the back. Wow. Hmm. It was, Dude, I'm it trying was, to eat here. Jesus. I looked at that. I couldn't believe I didn't feel anything in the aircraft. The aircraft didn't even know there was a big gaping hole out there. Well, we've seen Corsairs come back from battles with you know parts of the prop shot away half the wing hanging off the tail shattered a tough bird yes yes in fact this airplane when we were restoring it we looked at all the small arm patches there was patches all over the tail cone Um, small arms fire from triple a from all this stuff hitting the airplane they just come back and patch it and off you go that's incredible 
incredible. I mean, so uh, for the listeners, this is a real combat veteran Corsair from the Korean War, hence the name, of course. Do you have any uh, stories relating to her wartime pilots flying off the USS Boxer or the Valley Forge? Like you have those logs, right? Yes, we do. <clears throat> and back in the day, you got to remember, we bought this airplane back in 1981. Mm. So throughout the 80s, um, people would hear. We, my dad did the research on the aircraft, zero number to the Naval Archives, researched it and found a couple of squadrons that it was uh, assigned to. And one just coincidentally happened to be a Pittsburgh squadron. It was actually, actually out of Akron, Ohio. The other one's out of uh, Olathe, Kansas. So there were two different squadrons. And so my dad went in and started to contact the different uh, members of the squadron. Found out that uh, these guys are still around. Dad asked them to look in their logbooks and say, hey, can you find the bureau number? We had eight pilots that actually flew it in combat. We have the copies of their logbooks showing the bureau number and then all the the different missions they were on coming off the Boxer, the Valley Forge. Incredible. So I get to talk to these guys. Mr. Hank Sokowski, he was in Pittsburgh, but they all joined the Akron Canton. Skipper was a, you may know him, uh, is Cook Cleland. Cook Cleland was a a racer of Corsairs back when, but he was a skipper of the squadron. And I talked to Mr. Hank and I said, Mr. Hank, I got to ask you, you know, what was your most memorable experience with a Corsair outside of combat? He goes, you know, that's an interesting question. He says, when I looked at the POH pilot handbook, he says, it said 42,000 feet was the service ceiling. So he said, I decided one day, I want to see if it'll make it. So he got in the airplane and he climbed, he climbed. And he says, I kept climbing and climbing. And finally, I got to 40, 41 or 42,000 feet. And I said, really? I said, what was it like up there? He said, well, I got there. I took the stick and I went in a great big circle that was forward, left, right and back. Nothing happened. He says, I was just hanging in the air at 42,000 feet. He said, all I did was pull the power and went straight back down to the boat. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, wow, that was that was interesting. But he wanted to see if the airplane would actually get to 42,000 feet. That's wild. That is. It was some great stories. Great guys. The connection that aircraft was incredible. What was the condition of it when you guys uh, picked it up? <laughs> it was a mess. Um, <laughs> it was three truckloads of parts. And uh, the history of it, and I'm not going to go into all the history, but it, you know, obviously it served in the Navy. It was then mothballed. It was uh, sold to Honduras. And so the Honduran government had it and then went through the soccer war between El Salvador and Honduras. And it made it through that um, <clears throat> conflict, if you will, in the 60s, became a parts plane. And so when Howard Purdue and all the guys went down there and, and flew the Corsairs out of Honduras, um, this was a parts plane. And it came out in 1977. Airline captain out of Kansas City or Kansas bought it and thought he would rebuild it. Well, it was a project and it wasn't an easy project. So he ended up selling it to another airline captain in Homestead, Florida. So he owned it down there and, you know, all the buddies were saying, yeah, 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 we'll help you rebuild it. Well, it was a lot and it was too much. So 
So uh, we ended up buying it in 1981. We looked at five different Corsairs, of which that was one. He chose that one, and uh, Jerry Beck was looking at the same time. He bought the other one out of Jacksonville, Florida. We bought the one out of Homestead. Had no idea the history. We brought it back in 1981, back to Pittsburgh. It was 10 years to build it. Got it flying in 1991. Our first air show was Tyco down in Pittsville, Florida. And that was uh, 1992. Oh, yeah, it was was a major project. That's incredible. Beautiful machine. Thank you. Absolutely. And Scooter, yours is incredible as well. Uh, 15-year restoration made from the parts of more than 200 Mustangs from every nation that operated it. Is that correct? Correct. All 37 countries that flew the Mustang as a frontline fighter had had them as, you know, secondaries or <clears throat> experiments, stuff like that. 37 countries that this aircraft as a frontline fighter. We have parts from all. That's incredible. Are there um, yeah. are there certain parts that are nostalgic when you think back about them, like little things or innocuous parts that took an arm and a leg to get or make, or that have weird stories to them? Well, keep in mind, a lot of the parts that that we recover, we could only use the interior, use the frame for the every every external skin on this aircraft was replaced except two. Okay, so it was a massive, massive undertaking. So when you ask a question like that, like that scoop is a is heck of a, a piece to make that's a it's a heck of an assembly to 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 fabricate to weld to, you know to put together so the, i always remember the scoop because my dad was making uh, or remanufacturing i should say uh you know and it's probably one of the uh, arguably one of the biggest defining pieces of p51 scoop that's underneath it yeah, uh, for the radiator, and a lot of people, a lot of people think that that is the air intake for the engine. And radiator is it's just like your car as a radiator in front of the engine. This one has it behind the radiator behind the pilot, so that's why that scoop spec. Yeah. So, but yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's several, there's several really hard some of the parts, the original parts to find on the Mustang. Uh, believe it or not, are, are spinner backplates. The uh, the portion of the spinner that goes behind the propeller, that backplate is their hen's teeth, not out there. They're wow. There's a, there's a, there's a company in uh, Czechoslovakia or Czech, Czech Republic, excuse me. That's that's making these Avia propeller. They're making these uh, spinner and afterbody, the spinner and backplate assemblies, and. I mean, yeah, sure, they do the job. They're actually slightly larger than the originals, and they don't look like you could walk down the line and you can point out an obvious plate. It just—it's a little bulbous. It's a—I uh, don't know. This, I to me, I think it takes away from the lines of the Mustang just because I'm used to original uh, spinner and back plates. I actually have two of. Them. I have a second one in storage that I'm just sort of. Sitting on because, as as Mustang parts owners go, you just sort of sit on parts you have because you never know when someone might need them, or might need them. But uh, yeah, I'd uh, th- that's probably those are probably some of the some of the parts that are that stick out to me. Cool. I mean, both these uh, you guys have such uh, relationships 
these machines, uh, you know, any gearhead will agree that when you learn these machines, they'll speak to you in rhythms and tell you exactly what they need, how she's doing, how she's feeling. Um, is it, is it just going through the motion sometimes just focused on flying or do you guys like truly feel the weight of the airplane's history when you push the throttle forward and pull the flaps and gear up? Um, well, I'll tell you that, I mean, a lot of the history stuff doesn't necessarily go through my mind more mm-hmm. than anything. It's, it's, if you rely on your training and if you rely on your background for the lack of words to operate these aircraft, how you were trained, then you don't have to worry about the weight of all the history on your shoulders. If you were trained in that way, then, you know, it should be, everything should be like clockwork. It's just like any other professional out there that I know that when I put this airplane on and notice I don't say when I strap into it this airplane on it becomes a and I know that just about any emergency or any thing that's I know that I mitigate whatever threat is there to the best of my ability I've been extensively trained by and by other people that have owned and operated these aircraft for years and that's what I mostly focus on is if you operate the airplane how it's supposed to, then the ancillary stuff, the weight of your shoulders you're talking about, that's a second. Like, let that hit one. Yeah. And Jim might speak. Yeah, I'll say Jim might speak more honestly to that. Yeah, I'm kind of going in and out here, so I'm getting clipped. I don't know if it's my internet speed or, or what here, so... I'm kind of hearing bits and pieces. I believe you were asking about a certain subject. When I get in the aircraft, my feet on the rudder pedals, I think about all the pilots preempting me uh, that had their feet on the same rudder pedals. It's very humbling. Here you're in a frontline fighter. It's a lot of eight horsepower and work. And um, <clears throat> it, it just humbles me. I'm simply a caretaker. and the airplane off uh it, it's a, a lot of respect when i get in that cockpit i'm gonna i'm gonna kick this back to scooter <clears throat> um because i fly with him so much that um you know you talk about being in tune with your aircraft i i'm the same way i wear my airplane like this. but he knows everything and he has a slight vibration and it I'm, I would say 90% of the pilots would not pick it up. He does. He'll say, hey, I think it's a lifter, and I think it's a pad on, on one of my valves. Don't you know when he lands on the ground, pulls the valve cover off, looks, the pad is missing. That is being in tune to your aircraft. And, wow. And I've in got tune. it to where, and, and, to, and to, to add to this, uh, and and I, I appreciate you telling that story because there was actually two instances with uh, flying with torque that I remember during the demo, I was like, okay, I threw a pad and it's, it's on the right side. I could just tell, you know, because the power impulses of them when one of these days I'll throw up an animation of it on my Instagram or something like that. If you ever look at power impulses, they actually sort of go uh, uh, in, a, in a very, to me, it's very random, obviously, uh, pattern. But whenever I would have one of those little pads, one of those little carbite um, Merlin fingers come off, on the right side, it would actually vibrate slightly than it would left. Don't know why. have no idea. I've thrown many of these pads 
my career, so something with uh, Mustang overhead cams. And uh, it's no damage to the engine. It's just, hell, you got four, you got three, you got two intakes, two exhaust. I mean, it's the engine's going to get uh, air or exhaust it. It's just maybe at a less less rate than it would. And I remember we were at Sun and Fun, and I'm like, it's on the right side. I guess you got to pull it. So I pulled it, and um, I was wrong. It was actually two, but it was still on. So, yeah, I can I can actually tell with this. Because I had, on this old engine, I have 1,600 hours on it. I mean, I've flown behind this engine its entire its entire career. My dad flew, Vlado Linux flew on this airplane. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Well, let's. Uh, we're kind of near the end of the interview part. I got a couple questions from some fans here. Uh, I got two questions. One is uh, from TJ's Photography. What is your favorite venue to perform at? And another, uh, as a my dad, hey Jed, as a motorcyclist, I've had many pucker moments. Can you describe one such moment and how uh, you got it resolved? How you got in and how it was resolved? Hmm. As for the venue, man, uh, it's a tie for me at least. Um, my my favorite venue of all time will always be Oshkosh. It always has. It's where, as far as I'm concerned, it's where this airplane was. We built this airplane for Oshkosh. We make the trip back to it every single year because that's what it is. It's it's the mecca for these kind of airplanes. So Oshkosh is a is probably tops. The other one is is round anymore, and it's the reason why I got in shows. But it's Daytona Beach Air Show, mm. I the Ember Riddle Wings and Waves. The reason why I got in that was the whole reason in, in 2014 i had the you know and jim was there too uh i had the pleasure of finally flying in front of my professors and all my colleagues and stuff like that that i we had so uh, i hope it comes back one of these days i mean there's really not not anything in the books anytime soon but it was but this for obvious it's for different reasons you know what i'm saying yeah it's really cool though I have to agree. I feel the same way about Oshkosh. It's it's Mecca. Uh, I'm on the board up there, so I'm always there, partake meetings and board meetings and such. But it is a is truly an honor to fly it. But I would have to say the other one would be Key West. <clears throat> I, I like flying down at uh, NAS Key West, Boca Chica. And uh, just a magnificent film. In fact, I uh, submitted a piece for the live air show that was on just a few days ago. And uh, I was flying with the F-35 Charlie in January. And I put some clips of Key West when I was flying with the Super Hornets. And I was looking when my wing was, you know, making those uh, reversal turns and look at all the beautiful aqua water. It's, it's very, uh, it's just beautiful, spectacular in my Nice. That's cool. Then uh, I guess the other uh, the other question was: Have you guys had any uh, uh, uncertain moments? If so, if you could describe them and how you resolve them, they're falling back on training or uh, improvising. Yeah, here's one for you: um, Rome, Georgia, 2015. Probably, uh, probably the most scared I've ever been in an airplane. Um, and I don't really talk about this very much because it makes me sound like a huge pansy. So, 
<laughs> I was I was no laughing now. I was going into I was going in uh, I was doing my one and a half vertical. I had just just sort of or my excuse me, that's back when I was only came out of the top of it. And from I felt something on I felt something on the back of my neck and I'm like, ow, 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 ow. I don't know what that is, but it's it's felt like a little scratching and then we'd go away. Like, oh no big deal. It's probably, you know, thread on the suit or something like that. And I go into uh I go into this uh half Cuban and uh <laughs> on the down line I'm pointed forty five nose low upside down and when I finally find out that that tickling is a hornet. It's in my cockpit. <laughs> uh now now here now having been on accident investigations plus other kind of stuff, when you hear about people that just, you know, flew into the ground or did had no idea. If if this thing had distracted me even further and even more, uh, I would have possibly been a casualty, and you would have never why. But however, how did I mitigate it? I killed it. Screw that thing. I rolled wings level. I went out. I called knock it off to George, and I killed it. I, I absolutely, and I, I still have the footage on my camera. Uh, I was still using the GoPro threes at the time. And uh, I actually had audio, and some sometimes I will, and I'll never upload it because I don't want really very many people to see it. But uh, the the audio is, and you guys know my personality, obviously. Uh, that really came out in killing this hornet uh, <laughs> because I had to knock it off. It was about a it was about a two and a half minute hold while I found this son of a gun and killed it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, if there's one, there's two. So I just, I was just like, you know, <laughs> and at the time, George Klein, the air boss, was, he's laughing to himself. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, dude, I almost died up here. I almost got stung by this friggin' hornet while I was 45 nose low accelerating ground. Like, that's scary to me. So uh, as for like mechanicals and stuff like that, I mean, here or there, but not, uh, I mean, partial engine failures and stuff like that and general aviation aircraft. But that, that's the one story that, that, that sort of, uh, whenever you say, have you ever had a close call? Yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my dad just commented, wow, I had a bead between my cheek and my helmet one time, stung me several times before I could stop. Yeah, exactly. And that, that hurts. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I had one of those in my dirt bike days, and a hornet went right in, uh, past, into my helmet around my ear and stung me all in the back of my uh, shirt. Ah. Yeah, and I'm trying to shut the bike off. I'm trying to rip my helmet off, get my shirt off, and that thing stung me, I don't know, eight or nine. Oh, jeez. I just got done interviewing Tom Richard oh, about an hour ago, and uh, we were talking about his first solo, and he was just turning uh, turning base and uh, had a hornet start circling his head during his first oh. solo. That's like, so I'm picking up a theme here. <laughs> Bugs and cockpits, man. Yes. Uh, it's a it's an incredibly cruel joke. If I ever find if I ever find somebody putting a plastic bug in my cockpit, uh, that'll be the last thing you ever do. <laughs> um. I've I've had a couple of experiences. Mine air, airplanes bulletproof. You know, as far as uh, component failures or engine failures or you know, those are all very minor in the, in the grand scheme. Um, I I can say that fod in the cockpit caught me um a couple of times and uh one instance i'd like to share with you was uh mcdill and here i am coming in in my solo routine i'm going through my full cuban 
And just as I passed through the vertical pull on the uh, first half of the Cuban, all of a sudden my mask, and I wear oxygen mask, it goes full pressure. I don't know what happens. What I didn't know what it was. And here I'm coming over the top. Again, most critical position. I can't take anything off the stick. My hands are busy. And now this pressure is getting so large, I feel my eyeballs starting to protrude. I mean, this oh. thing, I can't shuck it. I can't pull my mask off because my hands are all busy. I'm up coming up over the top, and I come down on the 45 degree. I roll it back around. I go in there and I just rip the mask off and the mask is going. <laughs> I look down and apparently I bumped the emergency knob to go full pressure on my mask. Oh, man. So I, I, did, I did a knock it off and I'm coming back down and I just fly off to try and figure out what happened. So I turn the emergency valve back off and everything's normal. And meanwhile, boss is going, Jim, you know, are you okay? What's going on? You know, blah, blah. And I didn't talk to anybody till I resolved my situation. I said, okay, I'm good. I'm coming back in. So they're all trying to figure out what the heck just happened to me. Now I'm okay. <laughs> I finished my routine. <laughs> that was a shocker. And, and it happened at the worst possible moment. Kind of like the scooter found that Hornet. You know, it doesn't happen when you're just flying straight and level. <laughs> So that's, that's one of mine. Well, I've got one last question before we wrap this up and uh, just preface this. I'm looking for a one word answer, no further discussion, but I want to get from both of you, which is the better fighter, the Mustang or the Corsair? (laughs) Bearcat. (laughs) Tiger. Tiger. (laughs) All right. Leading the fifth. I'll take it. <laughs> That's funny. You guys both went growing. That's cool. Why don't you? Do, you know, the question should be: Which one is faster? Which one has the higher? Mm. Dude, you can Who only do two fifty below it's ten. I don't be want to hear Corsair. it. It's going to be the Corsair, but it's just a question. Well, I mean, you know, here's here's the way I look at discussion. Yeah, sure, Corsair's faster. It had TV shows made out of it. But uh, you know, it 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 was in service the same amount of land thing, and it couldn't get as many kills as. Really sad, you know. I mean, <laughs> it, it must it must suck being faster, cooler, this other kind of stuff. Like while you guys were sitting there discussing how good how good the airplane was, we were out winning. Wars, so in fact, they had to send the Mustangs over the Pacific to finish the job. The Corsairs couldn't. <laughs> I think he refilled his glass over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but here's the thing so but 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 however however uh you know i i'm i'm a a man of history i'm a man of okay stuff that actually happened if we're going by dog fights and kills the corsair is by far better because in the soccer war which his airplane flew in uh the corsair to kill the corsair to mustang kill ratio if i right was like nine kills of the corsair technically the corsair uh would be historically the better of the two fighters well you know there's two sides of the story and you know each one has its pluses and minuses good attributes and negatives but the mustang is more agile than the corsair the Cor- corsair has more brute force has a nice fat wing so it's very forgiving talks to you mustang has the lamer flow wing which is great high speed a lot of maneuverability so they each have their own pluses and minuses 
They do. I think they're all equal, all said and done. It pretty much, you know, when it comes out to it, when you look at it on paper, like if you were going to do like a dog fights episode on, you know how they do like the, uh, they list the, the strengths and weaknesses. Literally on paper, the airplanes are identical. Because let me tell you something. When you go downhill with a Corsair, uh, you better have the power up because you're not going to outdive it. That thing get that thing gets ahead of speed up, and I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of it. I know that like when I'm diving in, I I can see him start creeping forward because that airplane that airplane picks up speed like something I've never seen in my life. That airplane will like I see that's why it was it's big dogfighting strengths was the dive because holy cow man you put the nose down on the thing and you're you're going <laughs> you know it's also designed with that fat wing it can hold a lot 2400 rounds of 50 thousand pound you know bomb on one shackle drop tank on the other tiny tims all times of all kinds of weaponry it has eight five inch rockets on you know on the wings eight four on each side it holds a lot so that fat wing gives it a lot of versatility more of a you know closer support yeah sure well um we've reached the end of our window thank you so much for joining us guys this has been awesome i've really enjoyed this same here guys really appreciate it thank you for the for the invitation yeah thanks again for joining us yeah, it was our pleasure. It was really cool to hear some of the the details behind behind your steeds. But, uh, for all the listeners, be sure to check out the Class of 45 on your social media channels. And if you've got a second, please fill out the survey pinned to the chat thread so we can improve upon what we started today. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for the next interviews with, I believe, Eric Tucker and Charlie Beck. Thank you for tuning in to this Aviation Conversation. We hope that our discussion of aviation brought a smile to your face. This was our first time hosting this event, and we look forward to doing it again in the future. We welcome any feedback to improve these future events. You can find Full Disc Aviation online at www.fulldiscaviation.com and Mudspike Aviation at www.mudspikeaviation.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.